total of your life, what's the story of your life going to ultimately tell the world? Branson, you're watching from just a couple state lines away, so maybe you're watching from somewhere around the world on our online campus. What about you? What's your story going to say? What's going to be the sum total of your life? Because in many ways, that story, that message of your life is going to be the most important thing about you. It's going to be the thing that lingers, the thing that endures about you. I want to ask you that right off the bat because I really think you've got to consider what the story of your life is because there's a lot of people who haven't and you can tell. You can tell that their life just sort of happens to them and suddenly they're left with a story that they never really considered. Think about some of the stories of some really well-known folks uh, from uh, a lot of different parts of the world, like this guy. Not this guy. Is he there? TV's unplugged? Had a feeling that might happen, actually. Uh, Anyway, uh, like Lord Voldemort, that was who that was going to be on there, right? You're not really thinking about this guy's story. He wasn't thinking about his own life when he sort of charted the entire picture of what is the sum total of my life going to be? Or maybe you think about if if Voldemort's not your thing and and if it even just bothers you that I named him because he's he who shall not be named, uh, then maybe you can like rewind to something like the Wicked Witch of the West and think of like, you know what, anybody who partners with flying monkeys has got serious issues with the story that is kind of coming about uh, in their life. And uh, the other person that I think that we were going to put up here on the screen was Cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, because it's Christmas, all right? If anybody needed to rethink their story just a little bit, it's got to be Cousin Eddie. The reason I bring all this up is because God is actually all about a great story. God is about a good story. Jesus, when he was a teacher here on this planet, was a nonstop storyteller. He taught in parables all the time, which is just a way of teaching something by using a story. A story is actually one of the best ways to explain things because it tends to stick in our minds. And it's a great way to explain what God is actually working out in everything. I think that's one of the reasons that we love stories so much. It seems like it's hardwired into us to love a good story. And I think that's because we were created in the image of God. He's the original storyteller. We love the ark in a story. We love the hero's journey, the battle against good and evil and all that stuff. We love it. There's something about it that just appeals to us, something that makes sense in the way that we are actually wired. And you think about this, we see in stories. We think in stories. That's how you choose to tell something. We remember in stories. We feel when somebody tells us a story. We need it. We also need it for context because we need the beginning, the middle, and the end to understand what's actually going on. If you just walk into the middle of a movie or walk into the middle of the story and you didn't get the context, then a lot of times you miss it. It helps us orient to life when we have a story, when we understand what's going on. And it's a huge part of our culture, actually. A lot of our culture comes back to figuring out what is the narrative that's actually going on. Because there's a lot of people that want to tell you the story that you're in, and here's how it's going, and here's what you should be paying attention to, here's what matters. What story am I in? I think that drives a lot of our hearts and a lot of our lives. And from God's perspective, the story is really interesting, and it's really clear, despite what we may think. In Acts chapter 17, here's a way of describing the story that you're in. Acts chapter 17 says, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. 
He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Is that the story that's really happening on planet Earth? Really? Branson, online, is that the story that you're in? Is that the story that's actually happening here? Because if so, it sure would be helpful to identify where you are in the story. You got to orient, where am I in the story? And every story tends to feature kind of a similar path. Now, a lot of literature experts out there would disagree with what I'm about to tell you because it's oversimplifying things. But just for our purposes here today, I want to suggest to you that every great story is made up of three essential parts. There's three movements in every story. Part one is the beginning. It's the sort of swell in action. You see it there. It's, that, it's the, you know, the, or the orientation, the intro of the characters, and then that beginning sort of ascent. Part two is that crisis point. It's the climax of the entire story. It's where the whole thing hinges. It's the central event of any great story. And then part three is the resolution. It's where the action sort of falls away. It's the ending. It's how everything sort of gets buttoned up and how what you saw in the beginning, how it actually pans out at the end. Now, there's a lot of nuance in those uh, three parts. You could add a lot more here and there, but those are really the main ingredients of a great story arc. So where are you in the story that God is writing? Well, you're actually in kind of the falling action. You're in kind of one of the initial stages of part three. Part three. You're in the resolution of the story. Here's how this works out. If you missed last week, our uh, senior pastor, John, did a fantastic job of painting the picture of part one. It's the whole story of the Old Testament, how it worked out. Everything leading up to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, all the action you see in the Old Testament. This is part one. Part two, though, is that arrival of Jesus on the scene. It's what we're celebrating at Christmas. It's part two. It's the climax of the story. In fact, if you could sort of double-click and tap in on part two, you'd see a 33-year stretch. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. That is the hinge point of the story God is writing. And then part three is the resolution. It's the 2,000 plus years still going of how that whole central event plays out in resolving the story. It turns out your life is part of the closing act of the best story ever. Part three. Now, that's interesting context, but it doesn't completely tell your story, does it? That's not your whole story, right? Because your story has its own movements in that. Your story has its own part one, part two, and part three within this greater narrative that's happening. Can you articulate your story yet? If somebody pushed you, could you articulate part one? the beginning, the, the orientation, the rise of action in your story? Could you articulate part two, the central event, the where the whole thing hinges in your life? And then part three, even the resolution. If you're still here and still got a pulse, you're in part three perhaps, so uh, it's not over yet. Could you articulate how it's going so far in perhaps your part three? I think many of us would actually find part two pretty difficult because what is the central event of my life. Have I even experienced it yet? Or is it still coming? How do you know when you've experienced this central event? 
Maybe for some of us, it would be some you know, epic moment, some, some long-awaited moment, like maybe when you found the one in your life and the one you're gonna spend the rest of your life with, and that is where the whole story hinges for you. Or perhaps it was uh, the birth of a child, or maybe it will be the birth of a child and the beginning of a family, and that to you is really kind of that climactic moment. And everything else sort of plays out from that. Maybe it's an accomplishment in your career, some uh, milestone in your life. These can be sort of that part two. And our whole life builds to and then kind of emanates from that. Sadly, I think many of our part twos may not be what we'd like it to be, though. I think in a crowd this size and in a community like we have, I think a lot of times the part two that will ultimately be the hinge point in our life sometimes is a hurt. It's betrayal from somebody that we cared about. Somebody, somebody who left a trail of you know, brokenness in our life. Sometimes it can be things like shame or guilt, regret. Maybe for you it's the loss of someone or something. And that is ultimately what my life kind of crescendos at. And the rest of my life is sort of the aftermath. It turns out to be the hinge point of your life. Not necessarily what you wanted, but it's part of the core message of your life. Now, regardless of what you do know about your story, and maybe you're pretty early on into it, you don't know how to articulate your story, that's okay. But regardless of what you do or don't know, here's something I would love to offer to you as you walk out of here today that you can know. You are invited to bring your story into the story that God is writing. You're invited. Your story can merge with the story that God is actually writing in human history, no matter what your story has been. No matter what it's looked like up until this point, I'm talking about highs and lows, even if your story seems like it is so broken, nothing good could ever come out of it. Even if you've had nothing to do with God up until now. Branson, for those of you watching online, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, your story is a prime candidate to be swept into the best story ever. You have an invitation. And just like Jesus' intersection with human history turns out to be the peak event, the central event, so his intersection with your life could be the central event of your story. And in the end, from God's perspective, that's really the key issue. What did you do with your intersection with Jesus? It will be the story of planet Earth and it will be the story for each individual life that has ever drawn breath on it. What did I do with my intersection with Jesus? And since it's Christmas time, Christmas being kind of the signal flare of God's intersection with human history, the central event of all of it, I thought maybe it'd be good for us to focus in on a couple of people who sort of crop up in Jesus' birth narrative, the story of when he was born. And I thought maybe we could learn from their stories a little bit and even sort of draw out what they did with their intersection with Jesus. So some of these uh, characters might sound really familiar. I'm gonna put the scriptures up as we go through it. You can go research it on your own, but the stories are mostly pretty familiar uh, to many of us. First, I wanna start with a person that's not actually in the Bible. This is the innkeeper, all right? The innkeeper. You can find their story in Luke chapter two. But they're not actually in the Bible. You can find maybe trace evidence of the innkeeper. Because despite all the great Christmas plays, pageants, musicals that you may have seen, this person is never mentioned nor named in the Bible. Yeah, you may have seen the innkeeper stand up and belt out some song. You know, never happened, okay? Never happened. He never sang at Jesus' birth or anything like that, all right? 
We, all we have is this reality that happened to Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus. Mary is very pregnant, very much in labor when they are trying to find a place to stay, and all we learn is that there was no room for them. Now, the character of the innkeeper is inferred because probably somebody told them, we don't have any room for you. But I think it's pretty illuminating the fact that the innkeeper, this person that apparently probably existed, never actually shows up in the story. They are missing from the story. Think about that. There is a person that stood so close to the most famous story of all time and missed it. I think if the innkeeper was here and we could pull him up on stage and give him a microphone and hear his story, I think it would be pretty interesting to hear his story. Maybe it would go something like this. You know, business was rough in Bethlehem, okay? It's not the easiest place to run an inn, all right? It is not a high-priority destination. And I got mouths to feed. I had bills to pay. One day, then boom, Roman government issues a census, and suddenly Bethlehem fills up with everyone's family tree. I mean, there is no room in anybody's inn, much less in mine. It fills up fast. It's a nice place, but it's a small place, all right? Then this pregnant girl and her husband show up on my doorstep looking for room, and I had paying customers, okay? I had no room for them, all right? Now, I mean, honestly, I didn't know it was going to be Jesus, okay? Like, I didn't... Later, that all sort of rolled into focus and the whole nativity thing happening in my backyard. Yeah, I didn't know that at the time. But you know, business is business. I think that voice of the innkeeper is more common than you might think. I think there's a lot of innkeepers in our world. People who've had a brush with Jesus. Where all the ingredients for an intersection were really there. God sort of shows up on their doorstep in some unusual form. Maybe it's like in the form of a health scare and suddenly somebody's really having to think through questions of mortality and eternity and what do I really believe about all these things? Maybe it's as simple as the words of a song where God sort of gets almost like a voice or a foot into your life in a beautiful moment. Or maybe it's an invitation to church and here you have a brush with this Jesus guy. The intersection is there. They are being invited into God's story, but they don't quite perceive it, and they pass on it. Most likely, like kind of absorbed with something else, but I just sort of passed on the whole intersection. When I think of somebody like the innkeeper that just missed the intersection, I think of my younger brother, Neil. 13 years ago, he was sitting in a church very similar to this one, uh, where I went to at the time. My whole family was there, and we had a really profound day together as a family. Uh, God sort of showed up. My mother and my older brother ended up surrendering their life to Christ and becoming a follower of Jesus. My younger brother, Neil, was there, rinkside, saw the whole thing, watched. In fact, sort of waited out for himself. Is this really what I want to do? Is this a step that I am really ready to take? But he walked out the door and closed it behind him. There was no room at the end for Jesus in his life. And I think it's really interesting, 13 years later, he is still searching. He's looking for the narrative in his life. What story is he in? He had a miracle basically happen in his backyard and missed it. Missed the whole thing. Sometimes the central event of your life isn't what happened to you, it's what you missed along the way. 
That's part of the story of this innkeeper. Well, the second person I want to bring up is somebody uh, that you might recognize, uh, King Herod, all right? You can find his story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. This is a big name, all right? It was a big name in his day because uh, Herod was a Jewish ruler that was called king, but really was more like a puppet king. He was kind of like allowed a measure of power from the Roman government, which was the people who were really in charge in Israel when Jesus was born. Herod is the acting, you know, king of Israel, so to speak, at least in name. And then these three wise men from the east show up looking for the newborn king of the Jews. Now, this is disconcerting information to Herod, who would have introduced himself as the king of the Jews. This was mildly annoying to Herod at the time, actually, that, what do you mean, star in the sky? What are we talking about here? What is God up to with bringing another king That's exactly what Herod saw. He saw another king as a threat. And so he concocts a plan to exterminate this king rather early on in his life. This is a bloodthirsty, cruel person who doesn't really care what it costs anyone else. He's going to get his way. And in the end, the three wise men are no help to him. He can't find Jesus. So just for good measure, he decides to murder every child, every newborn boy in Bethlehem just to cover his bases. This is a bad guy. But interestingly, he is intersecting with the story God is writing. He is on the scene with Jesus, and he is utterly resistant to it. He wants no part of this. You think about this. I think there are very few people that have ever taken resistance to Jesus as far as Herod did. Admittedly, that is pretty, that's kind of the far end of the spectrum, okay? But I do think there are a lot of people in our world who respond from from a place of opposition in the heart. The idea of bowing down to somebody who claims to be king over me is utterly annoying to them. The idea that there are these mystical aspects of life, star in the sky, God acting in human history, it just sounds too fantastic. Are we we really operating in reality here? This sounds like a crutch for somebody who can't deal with real life. They even sometimes can get to the point of devoting time trying to discredit Jesus. They end up in arguments with his followers and kind of show contempt for people who claim to have intersected with Jesus. Like I said, I don't mean to paint everybody who's been resistant or uh, kind of rejects the message of Christ as a bloodthirsty or cruel person like Herod. That's like I said, that's not the case. But many times there is this, this from the core, like, no, I want nothing to do with that. I think of my friend Robert. Robert was actually a born and kind of grew up in a really abusive home. And there was zero spiritual influence, so Robert was just like on his own. And it was a dark life. Uh, He grew up pretty self-protected, kind of, you know, I'm going to have to scrap my own way in this, didn't really trust people, Uh, certainly didn't really think that much about God. But he was really incredibly intelligent, very uh, successful by many standards. And he has created a life that does not require nor sees any need for God. He has become very suspicious of anybody who would claim to know God. I mean, especially when you think of his life. If there's a God out there, what happened here? So it's better just to not believe in God at all. Therefore, anybody who does claim to know God is somewhat, you know, questionable in that. What are they trying to get from me? There's a manipulative uh, sort of angle of anybody who claims to know God when it comes to Robert. And right now, to this day, he lives very comfortably as an atheist. He does not need God. He is resistant, actually, to an intersection with Jesus by his own admission. Sometimes the central event of your life winds up being 
a fight, an argument, opposition. That was your intersection with Jesus, but it becomes a fight that marks the central event in the story God is writing. So those are two well-known characters. Let's turn our attention to another person that has a very different experience in Jesus' birth. It's Mary. Uh, Mary, the very different experience on a lot of levels. She's selected to be the mother of Jesus. Now, here's the thing about stories. You may have a pretty wild story if we put you up here and you could tell us some crazy stories. I think Mary got, has got to win on strangest story of all time. I mean, seriously? I mean, imagine if we put her up here with a microphone. Maybe her story would go something like this. All right, I was about age 15, all right? I was engaged to be married to this nice guy from across the village. His name was Joseph, all right? We are picking out curtains together. We've got our wedding registry going. It all seems like it's gonna go fantastically well when I run into this guy who tells me his name's Gabriel and turns out he's an angel from God. Just about scared me half to death when I saw him for the first time. He tells me I'm going to get pregnant, which is somewhat of an issue because I'm a virgin at the time, all right? But not just pregnant with anybody. I'm going to get pregnant with the Son of God who's going to save the entire world. I know. Bizarre, right? Like, but it happens. It all happens just the way he says. This baby in my body becomes a boy that blows me away with his wisdom and his love, even from an early age. This boy becomes a man who mesmerizes me with his words, with his courage, with his power. He redefined the word God for me. Knowing Jesus turned out to be the wildest ride of my entire life, watching him preach and then teach and then heal from town to town turned out to be the most painful ordeal of my entire life as I watched him betrayed, beaten, tortured, crucified right in front of me and then turned out to be the most unexpected joy of my entire life as I got to meet him on the other side of death. He was raised to life. Mary had a pretty wild story. Mary's intersection with Jesus turned out to be the central event of her entire life and it transformed everything about her. From the very first moment she was finding this out, she had a very different response. I love how Gabriel says, this is his final word to Mary after laying out a pretty crazy plan. For nothing will be impossible. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary doesn't miss it. She doesn't resist it. She responds. She responds with openness with some receptivity, with some measure of trust. She didn't really know what she was getting into, but she didn't resist it. She welcomed it. And she got to discover firsthand exactly what Gabriel said. Nothing is impossible with God. Virgin birth, pretty possible. Son of God, pretty possible. Life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Check. She saw it all. By trusting God, her story got swept into the best story ever. Jesus' intersection with history became her intersection with destiny. Now, I will say this. Mary's intersection with Jesus is rather unique, okay? It's not going to be repeated. No one else gets an intersection quite like that. But all of us are invited to bring our story into the story that God is telling. We're invited 
It's a long-standing invitation on record. You're invited to come closer to Jesus, just like she was, to learn to trust him with whatever measure of trust you can give him, to let him intersect your life and transform it, just like she experienced. And I honestly could tell you so many stories of people who followed a very similar progression to Mary's story. They're part one. You know, I think of my friend Dwayne. His part one was not a very great start. He was abandoned by his father pretty early on. He grew up pretty much in poverty, had a really codependent mother that created a weird dynamic in their house and, and really kind of left him with a lot of baggage growing up. His grandparents got him to church. He was in kind of a rural area, so he went to church. But the message he got is that if you're going to be in with God, you better look the part. You better act good. Now, regardless of what you really feel or think inside, you better look the part of a Christian. That was his part one. I connected with Dwayne. He started coming to our church that we were a part of at the time. Again, one really similar uh, to Gateway. And he started to see what people living in a love relationship with God, a legitimate two-way relationship with God looked like. And it sort of bowled him over. And I'll never forget the day. I remember, I remember sitting in the auditorium and he came up to me after a service and said, you know what? I think, I think this whole thing with God, I've got something wrong. I think this whole thing is grace. I think it's this free gift that God gives to you, this relationship. This, he welcomes you in. I can't do anything to earn it, which means if I, I couldn't do anything to lose it, it's his to give. And I was like, yeah, I think you've got it. He said, I want that. And he received it. He received grace through trusting Jesus. That was his part two. And part three is still in motion. But here's what I can tell you thus far about the resolution of my friend Dwayne's story. He is a transformed person. God has rearranged him from the inside out. So many of those broken patterns from part one have been sort of worked out over time with truth, with love, in community. He has been liberated from so much of that. And I watch him be able to trust people, to be able to love, serve people, even just laugh with a freedom I never knew of him before. God just continues to kind of take him, and he's in this adventure with God right now. He is studying to be a doctor right now. He is going to be used by God to bring healing to people physically, but also he's been used by God to share that story that I just told you with other people, and it's brought spiritual healing to other people's lives. There are so many stories like that everywhere. I could tell you my wife, Courtney's story. Uh, when I first met her, her part one was kind of left her with a skeptical sort of taste in her mouth about who Jesus was and this whole God thing. Could you really trust it? She encountered Christ on June 16th of 2002 and God has flipped her upside down. I love that now I get to be a part of her part three and kind of walk forward into the adventure of life together. Sadly, it turns out her part two was not me after all. It was Jesus. But there's so many of these stories all around. I could tell you uh, Katie's story. I could tell you Stuart's story. I could tell you Pat's story. I could tell you John's story. There's, they're just all around us. In fact, so much of what we experience here at Gateway has been shaped by our stories. So many of the broken part ones of lives here at Gateway have had the most incredible part threes because of this intersection with Jesus. Take, for instance, in one of the early, uh, some of the early days of Gateway, Trey and Lucy walked into the doors of Gateway as cocaine addicts, but they ended up through their intersection with Jesus, not only being freed, but also sent out to help other people find freedom and started a recovery movement that still is moving forward to help other people find freedom here. 
There, are, there were several women in the history here of Gateway who walked in the doors. Part one was marked by sexual abuse. The lies, the hurt, the brokenness, the, the, the feeling of not being able to escape the past. And not only did their intersection with Jesus begin to transform them and set them free, God used the story of their part one and redeemed it so that other women who've experienced some of the similar trauma could find hope and life through our wounded heart group here. Even our kids' ministry has its roots in a guy whose initial part one was marked by neglect as a child. But as his encounter with Christ marked his part two, his part three led to us creating a space here where kids can find and encounter the love of God from early in life. I don't know what the beginning of your story is, but I do know this. No matter how broken part one is, Jesus can work wonders with part three. If you're in Branson right now, I know you've got stories of all your own. I keep hearing of the tremendous work that God is doing there. And then online, again, this is something for all people. Do you know one of the last things that the angels sort of shouted over the hilltops that day that Jesus was born? It's they sang over the shepherds. It says, we bring great, good news of great joy to all people. All people, no one is off limits. Everyone is invited. So what's your story? So what is your story? Every story kind of has these basic three parts. So what's the beginning? What's the central event? What's the resolution looking like so far? Most importantly, what is your intersection with Jesus? What's your intersection with Jesus? If you can't identify one, would you be open to having one? Would you welcome it if it came your way? Because your story does not have to pivot on what you missed or who you resisted. It can begin for you. You're not alone if your story is still being written and you're looking for that intersection point. But your openness has a lot to do with it. That invitation for you to bring your story into God's story, it's wide open. So here's what I wanna ask you to do today as you're walking out. Maybe in, this, in the next couple of days, I want to challenge you to try and identify, then articulate your story. What is it? At least as much as you know right now. Identify those three parts. If you had to tell somebody the story of your life, how would you tell them? So many people breeze through their entire, leaves and their entire life and they never think about the message. They never think about, where's this all going? What's the narrative here? Much less the bigger story that they may actually be a part of. So think through your story. Can you tell it in these three movements? Part one, part two, part three. Hey, by the way, real quick, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not optional, okay? This is an absolute, like, essential part of who you are now as a follower of Jesus because that story was given to you out of love from God, but it was entrusted to you as a gift to help somebody else too. Your story is meant to be evidence for somebody else, and you've got to know it. You've got to learn how to share it and tell it. The story of your intersection with Jesus is often the beginning of someone else's invitation into God's story. As you share it, you become an invitation point. You become a brush with Jesus that could intersect somebody else, but it only happens if you know it, and it only happens if you tell it. Our world is in desperate need of people who will bear witness to Jesus. We are overrun with horrible news out there. But that old announcement over Bethlehem, I bring good news of great joy to all people, can be realized as you tell your story one at a time with somebody else. 
There is remarkable power in it. In fact, sometimes you just even telling your story, your transparency, your honesty, gives somebody else permission. It gives somebody else courage to start sharing theirs or at least thinking about their story. So as you walk out today, I wanna give you three challenges, okay? As it relates to knowing your story and then sharing it. I wanna challenge you to share your story with three different groups here this week or maybe in the coming Christmas season. Here's the first one. Share your story with someone who knows you but doesn't know your story. You're surrounded. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's somebody you know, your neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody who's known you for a long time. But they don't know the arc of your life. I challenge you to share that story because they need to know you. And this story is an essential part of who you are. So if there's somebody in your life that has just never heard your story but you've known them for a while, listen for the opportunity to share it with them here in this season. Second, I want you to share your story with someone you meet, meaning somebody you don't know right now. Now, you may really want to ask God, God, help me understand the opportunity. Help me to see it and recognize it. I think if you're open to it, you might be surprised who he intersects you with. I tried this this past week and it worked. I really did. I was just like looking for an opportunity to share my story. And sure enough, I found myself in a position where I'm going, I think I'm supposed to, I didn't really know this person that well. I think I'm supposed to just share what's on my heart. Here's a little bit of my life story and the arc of, that God is kind of working out in my life. I think if you're looking for it, you might stumble across it. Ask God, if there's somebody out there that I would meet in this next season, could I share my story with them? And then lastly, we live in a social media world. How about sharing it on social media? Use your voice for something good. There is so much trash out there. How about we bring something redemptive to the whole Twitterverse or whatever it is that you uh, kind of participate in? Sharing it via social media just gets a chance to put it out there and say, hey, I don't know how, if we were Facebook friends or how tight that friendship is, but here's something I want you to know about me. And as you do that, we're trying to create a conversation uh, using a hashtag. So as you put this out there, use hashtag own your story. Own your story. That way we can sort of track it. We'd love to kind of track the stories that are being told out there to celebrate it with you. But it's an interesting way for us to kind of be a part of a movement together to say, you know what? We have eyewitness accounts. We've got evidence. And even if your story hasn't intersected with Jesus, that's okay. Tell it. You understanding your own story will probably give somebody else courage to think about theirs. So all of us, I encourage you, over the next couple weeks, spend time looking for how you can share your story. Share them. I think it'll bring more life and freedom to people than you might expect. But most importantly, I want to challenge you to bring your story. Bring your story into the story that God is writing. You don't have to dress it up. It doesn't have to be some beautiful, you know, version of your story. You're invited to bring it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, the joys, and the sorrow. And say, God, with everything, I bring it all to you. And I am stepping into the story that you're writing. Your story finds its true place and it finds lasting redemption in the story that he is telling. So before you leave, I wanna challenge you to stick around for a minute. We're gonna sing a song together and maybe this is an opportunity for you to sort of boldly begin owning but then telling your story. Thank you.